Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast was recorded in Brisbane, Australia, the land of the Turrbal, Yagara, and Yagurabal people. And we acknowledge all elders past, present, and emerging. G'day, 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 and welcome back to the Story Chunder podcast, a podcast where people tell unbelievable true stories from their lives. We're very excited because we were able to go back to a live show here in Brisbane, Australia, in Queensland. This week's theme was favorites, as we were inviting ourselves back into a live space, social distanced, of course. And um, and we had a great mix of people, so thanks for coming along and checking us out and for being fans of the podcast as well. Our first storyteller is Suzanne Miso, who is the host of That's My Cup of Tea, so check that out on Facebook. Uh, it's a great program about the Asian-Australian experience. And Suzanne told us a story about a time gone by when we used to backpack around Europe and stay in pensiones, and her story had a very surprising twist. Enjoy. I want to talk first about my passion for tea, drinking tea, any kind of tea. It brings back these amazing memories for me of my grandmother as I'm walking up the back steps of her house and I can smell this rich condensed milk tea with about 10 sugars in the pot waiting for me. Or I might be at a train station in the freezing cold rain in Scotland and someone has offered me tea. So I just wanted to talk about that before I start my story tonight so that you'll get an idea why the ending was so significant for me. So my story starts in Spain where I was hitching around, despite being told, do never hitch around Spain. I just thought, hey, what the heck. I had a young friend with me, Alex, and we thought, we're going to do it anyway. And we hitched to a town called Cadiz, which is in the south of Spain, and just on the border of Portugal. And for some reason, I had it in my head that I would rate the pensiones that we stayed in along the way. And this particular pension that we stayed in in Kitty wasn't meeting my standards at the time. I've changed a lot, I have to say, audience, since those days. I'm now a lot more liberal in where I stay. But then I decided that the room was cold and there wasn't proper sheets on the bed and the showers only had cold water and there was insects all over the floor. So at the end of the stay at that pension, I went down to the office and I said to the owner, who looked a little bit like one of Franco's henchmen, I have to tell you at the time. And Franco, just so most of you would know, was the dictator that was ruling Spain for a number of years and had a lot of people killed during his reign there. Anyway, so I went down and I said to the guy, you know, I'm not very happy with the accommodation you've offered me here for this pension. And he's like, well, you know, what's, what's the problem? I said, well, you know, the sheets were dirty and there were 
cockroaches on the floor and no coal. He's like, well, you know, you, uh, you can always go somewhere else. And I said, well, the bottom line is I'm not going to pay for this pension because I don't believe that I have good value. And he got a little bit distressed by this and got a little bit aggressive. And my friend Alex came down as well and he said, how about we just pay the money? And I said, no, no, this is principle. This is a principle issue. I'm not going to pay the money. No, I'm not paying the money. I'm not paying the money. So the guy at the desk said, that's okay, that's okay, uh, I'm just going to call the police. So at the time, uh, the police in Spain were very, very much like the military. In fact, the two were probably the same thing. They carried very heavy machine guns, they wore car keys, they had helmets, they had massive boots. And Alex, by this stage, who was a lot younger than I was, was getting a little bit fretful at the thought of being taken in by the police. So he came up to me and said, I think this is a really bad idea. I think we should dodge. And I said, no, no, this is principle. This is my principle. I'm not paying. So the police came and said, uh, we'd like to see some ID. So Alex was so nervous at the time, he was pulling things out of his pocket. And of course, the things that fell out of his pocket were condoms for some reason. And I don't know why he had condoms in his pocket, but it wasn't a good look for the police to see these condoms on the floor. These police didn't speak English either, by the way. So it was one of those really uncomfortable situations where I was trying to tell a story, Alex was trying to tell a story, and no one was understanding anything we were saying. So we went with them to the police station. We got in the back of their vehicle. We went to the police station. The guy at the desk, meantime, was looking pretty smug and pretty happy with himself because he thought, these guys are really going to get it now. So we went to the police station. We had to leave our backpacks at the counter. We sat down. We waited. We waited. We waited. We waited probably for about an hour. And every time we spoke to anyone there, no one was understanding what we were saying. And Alex, by this stage, was giving me some really long, hard looks and thinking, I think you should just be thinking about what you've done here, Suzanne. So after an hour, the police commissioner called us in and he spoke English and he said, you can't really be traveling around Spain with no money. And I explained to him this, this wasn't the situation, that we actually had money, but I didn't believe that this pension was worthy of any payment. And he said, well, do you want to show me your money? Show me your passports. We did all those things. And he looked at them. And as we were looking at the documents, we could see the guy from the pension outside the police station. And while this was going on, the commissioner said, just be aware that this guy is a known murderer in Kitty. And Alex and I kind of looked at each other sideways at this point and thought, okay, okay, that's cool, that's cool. And he said, you're actually free to go. So as we were walking out of the station with our backpacks in our hand, we sort of did a bit of a right and left knowing that potentially this murderer was going to be out here somewhere. And surprise, surprise, he and two of his henchmen were actually standing outside the police station at the time. So all Alex and I could do at this time pretty much was run and jump on the first bus that came came up to us on the footpath, which is what we did. We jumped into the first bus. And what we did is we actually ducked down under the seats of the bus so that he couldn't see where we were. But when we looked up, he was actually running with his two henchmen after the bus. And Alice by this stage is going, I think we're going to be murdered probably when this guy gets his hands on us. So we didn't really know what we were doing. We just jumped buses 
until we finally got to a train station that was going to take us across the border to Portugal. And standing right there was this lady that had a little gypsy van. And in the gypsy van, she brought out these cups of tea that had, I think at the time it was like a bergamot tea and a ginger in it. And Alex and I sat down pretty close to thinking that we had just escaped being murdered. And she handed us these cups of tea at the time. And I remember thinking, tea has to be the most amazing beverage in the world. And any time I've been in trouble, it's always been there for me and it's always saved me. So when Simos and I started making a production called That's My Cup of Tea, I realised that tea was my favourite thing in the world that was always going to see me through, no matter what the situation was. Thank you. That's my story. From the border of Spain and Portugal, we go to Tasmania, where actor Sam Liddell grew up, and he told us a few stories about camping and some of the things that can go wrong when you are on a camping trip with your family and friends. Yes, as Matt said, I'm actually a Tasmanian. I moved up here five years ago, and for those that haven't been to Tassie, the reason I moved away is that when you're a, when you're a young kid or a young adult, there really isn't a lot to do. <laughs> so you've kind of got to try and find your own fun. And one of the big things that does happen down in Tassie is camping. I mean, nowadays it's wine and cheese, and if you're old enough to do that, of course that works. But when you're younger, it's camping. So you normally go off on family trips. You do camping trips to the coast when it's sunny and warm. Um, <laughs> warm being about 25 degrees, let's be honest, it's not warm. Um, but yeah, so... Um, my family and I used to go off on trips quite regularly. We used to do an Easter trip and a Christmas trip and then probably somewhere in, in amongst there, another trip as well. But um, I remember the first time I got a tent was at Christmas and that tent got set up and I basically lived in that tent and made it my own little world for that Christmas period. But I've actually got two stories I want to tell, um, both on the theme of favourites because camping was my favourite thing when I was younger. It's sort of taken a back step now because of city life. Um, and let's be honest, mod cons are great. Uh, comfy bed, nice pillow, warm blanket, can't really go wrong. But I've got two stories and they're both my favourite stories to tell and they're both tragic fails about camping. So the first one, first one was an Easter trip and my family used to go down to this, this gorgeous little spot up in northern Tasmania called Greens Beach. It's basically got, uh, it's got running water but it all comes from tents. Uh, there's no like main sewerage line, it all goes into um, the septic tanks and stuff like that. So it's, it's a proper like old school camping ground that you go to and we used to go there every Easter. And it's not so much prominent up here, but Easter in Tasmania can be one of two things. It can be still like summer or it can be like hell. <laughs> and just be windy and rainy and all that kind of things. And for this particular story, it's the latter. So the days leading up to going down, been fantastic weather. Sunshine was out, everything was great. And when you're like a 12 year old, 10, 11, 12 year old, like coming up to Easter and having a week off school sounds absolutely fantastic. Like kicking a 40 round, just hanging out with friends, basically just doing whatever you want and not having to have a curfew, it was great. So we went down, set up the tents. There was normally a big group of us that went down there. There was like, I think about 10 or 15 families that sort of all used to go down and do the same thing at the same time. So we'd all hang out around there. But this one particular year, it turned putrid on uh, like Easter Saturday night. And we used to set up the fire pits and have all that around. We're sitting out there and it just started to bucket down with rain. 
and rained and rained and rained. I think it ended up being about 30 or 40 mils in a couple of hours, which um, if anybody knows the Nunda area of Brisbane, uh, the Kedron Brook down there normally floods when you get that much rain. And so think about that much rain, but where it just soaks into the ground. And so unless you've put your tent pegs in about six feet, there's going to be trouble. So anyway, I got to later on in that night and the winds kicked up. And this isn't just like a sort of a 20 or 30 k an hour wind. These were 80 to 100 k an hour winds in a tent with myself, my twin brother and my sister who collectively probably weighed about 150 kilos uh, in a six person tent. So we ended up with what essentially was a wet sail in 80 kilometre an hour winds. And from what I've told, we got this far off of the ground. <laughs> like one o'clock in the morning and like the sides of the tent are just caving in on us and then we just get lifted up and dropped back down to the middle of the thing and luckily enough there was a couple of, of the, the parents of the people that we were staying with that were there that actually saw it happen otherwise god knows what that story would have ended up like but they they grabbed the tent hold it down hauled us out and over over to a tent across the way like soaking wet because it was still raining so heavily and we were just stunned because it's just like how, how could this happen and it's it's been one of those experiences that it just like it should put you off camping i didn't learn <laughs> so Years after that, we still kept going. We sort of found better tents and longer pegs, but we sort of kept camping from there. And like, I got into my later teenage years, did the whole, let's do a, let's do a festival for three days in a tent. Sounds like a great idea. Go and hang out with your mates, drink, like have a good time, camp, do whatever you want for three days. Except for the next day, like the day after you get there, you drank way too much on the first day and you're cooking in a sauna. And so, going on from there, I, I don't know if anybody's got a festival story, but if you do, it always sounds better than it is, which is why I've only ever done one false festival and never gone back. Um, but the second story was sort of after this experience as well. It's probably the last time I've gone camping. Uh, and there was this festival that was held in my, in my town um, in Launceston. And it was the first time this festival had been held and we had a few friends that went, yeah, let's do this, this will be great, and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's, let's see how this goes. And it, <laughs> the weather turned on us again. So it was, it was late in August, August, September, and basically, again, anybody that hasn't been to Tassie, winter basically exists from about mid-February to about mid-December. So it's essentially Winterfell. Um, <laughs> Only with less white walkers, but yeah, well, maybe not. Um, but this particular Tecular Festival, um, it was it was an EDM festival, so there was special types of people there to begin with. But like, um, there was this whole setup um, where they had the main stage. They had this little tent that had like DJs playing all day, and then the food and stuff was sort of in the middle. And it had been teed up to be this this great new festival for Tassie and all this sort of stuff. I think it made about two hundred people turned up. Because the day before the festival, um, there was a severe weather warning that came out about uh, like hurricane condition winds or cyclone condition winds. I think it ended up being, but like the winds kicked up, but it was it was probably about sixty or seventy k an hour. It wasn't as bad as they were expecting. 
Still bad, not as bad as I expected. Um, and the rain. So three of us, uh, three couples of us were like staying together in this one massive tent. And it got to about 10.30 at night, the wind was coming in at like a 40, like 45 degree angle. Like you couldn't, like you literally had to walk into the, into the, into the rain, otherwise you're gonna get blown over. <laughs> and we just went, this is enough. Let's just go home, let's call it a day. We'll come and pick the tent up tomorrow and go from there. And so we went home, nice warm shower, nice comfy bed, absolutely fantastic. We got a call about 4.30 from one of our friends who said, who was like, you come and pick us up. It's like, what's happened? It's like, there's water in the tent and we're floating. They had, a, they had like, like a foot's worth of water that had got trapped in the tent and they had a blow-up mattress that had essentially become a raft. And so I think from there on out, like that's kind of my last experience with camping and probably will be for a little while. So if there's anything I've learned from these experiences is always go for mod cons. Nice, warm, comfy beds. Air conditioning, heating, whatever it is, pull, go wherever you want, but book somewhere with a room. Thanks guys. Cheers. Be sure to check out Sam Liddell on El Australian Trip on YouTube or Hard Knock Life, which has just got an American distributor. Cassie George, our next storyteller, gave us the offer of either a Christmas story or a naughty story, and we all chose the naughty story. <laughs> so please enjoy Cassie George, who's a fantastic singer and also a fantastic storyteller. Alright, so I found for like the past couple of years that I've been struggling and I think this happens in modern day dating where, you know, people are maybe dating for like a month or two and then you're in that place going, what are we, are we, are we like, just, are we exclusive, are we seeing other people, are we married, like, and I was constantly kind of stuck in that like one to two month ratio where things would be going well and then something would happen and we wouldn't, it just wouldn't work out, which, you know, it happens, that's okay. And so I met my boyfriend now, um, who, through work. And so when I first saw him, he walked in, he was coming in for his job interview and he had a beanie and tattoos and I've never like been really attracted to anyone with tattoos. So I was like, attracted to a bad boy and <laughs> let me just say I worked for a children's charity and he was also applying for a job at a children's charity so he wasn't really a bad boy but I was like oh tattoos a beanie oh and so um we met through work and a couple of things had happened so I asked him out I was like stuff it what could go wrong and we went to this dance concert and we were sitting there the whole time and I was like living my best life watching dance because I was like, yes, get it, get it. And he was sitting there going, I don't, I don't know how to react to any of this because he's he's not like a super like theater person or a dancing person. And so we finished the dance concert, walked through the valley and we still hadn't compared whether this was a date or not. I kind of said like, come to this dance concert with me. And he was like, okay. So I wasn't really sure. And so we're like walking just hoping that once someone was going to say something because we were eating our ice cream. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to say anything just in case. And so he asked me and says, is this a date? And I was like, I mean, if you want it to be a date, it could be a date. And he was like, yeah, it's a date. 
Anyway, that's, like, that's another story for this story. And so this is probably about, again, this is hitting the month where I'm like, ooh, okay, this might be exclusive town, I'm not really sure. Because things had just been going really, really well, which was great. And just, I think, through a lot of my own experiences in learning what I accept for like human connection, things I was like, you know what? I don't have time for people who might not be in a particular place that I was want to be. And so we seem to be on the wavelength the same way like for a couple of different things. And so one day, he was living with his parents at the time and I was in my apartment and I was home alone. And <laughs> I don't know why I need to do that. Um, and so we were on the phone and it was getting a little bit naughty, just, you know, just a bit of phone sex. And he was at his parents' house and he was like, I need, I, I can't like, keep talking about this, like my parents might hear me. I was like, oh, okay. And so he, if anyone knows like the Wilson, you know, the reservoir, like up here, I don't know if anyone knows, but no, okay, cool. Um, so there's basically like this little like hill and reservoir thing that people can sit up and look at stuff. And so he like left the house and was walking and just like was standing at the top of a reservoir having dirty talk with me over the phone while I was at home in bed. And so we kept talking and things were getting really, really escalated. And I was like, what's true right now? Like, oh, like I don't want to leave the house. It's really far away. And I was like, come over. And he's like, I'll be there. And so I was like, great. I don't need to get dressed. I can just like stay in bed. This is awesome. And so where I was living at the time, you had to ring like the buzzer and then go up two flights of stairs. And so the doorbell rings and I'm like, hello. Because obviously I know who it is. And he's like, it's me. And I was like, okay. And so I let him in. And so, and I don't know how it happened. I have no idea. So he's running up the stairs where I can hear someone running. And I open the door and he is completely naked. I, and I, like, I looked at him straight in the face if I was looking at Abby right now going, oh, hi. Look down. Oh. <laughs> and so I was just really impressed because I think he was probably, it only took like 10 seconds to run up the stairs. So I'm like trying to picture how he would have taken his clothes off while running up the stairs. Like, how do you take off pants while running up the stairs? Do you just like take your pants off first and then run up? Like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I still think about it to this very day, how that was possible. Anyway, so he was naked at my front door. And I was like, wow, <sighs> cool. And so he, we came in, we were doing our thing. And then it got to that point where I started freaking out because I was like, this is like a booty call. Is this a booty call? Have I like changed this territory to something else? Like is this, oh my gosh, we've had these amazing dates. Does that mean now that I've just like called him over and now he's naked in the front of my door? Like what happens then? What, what does this all mean? And so in my way of just trying to like beat around the bush to be like, so what are we? What does this mean? Because and I, and I was really upfront and honest about it, saying, you know, I have, I don't do, that's not my thing. I'm not 
the kind of person to invite people over and kind of just do the do and then be done with it. That just hasn't been my style. And he was like, no, I don't do that for anyone either. So I was like, so, are you my boyfriend? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And so on a day that we ran up to my apartment completely naked was the day that we became official boyfriend and girlfriend. And that's my story. <laughs> Thank you, Cassie George. And Cassie's mom, if you're listening, she made that story up. It's completely fiction. <clears throat> so anyway, speaking of negotiating relationships, our last storyteller is actually from our Insta Live on 29th of June. Uh, our theme was Pride because of the end of LGBTQIA plus Pride Month. And Shalise Vandell uh, decided to tell us the story about her coming out as a bisexual woman. And I love it. Enjoy. Um, so I'm a bisexual cis female. Um, yes. Um, uh, I just want to, yeah, so I'm going to talk about sort of how I came into uh, being okay with my sexuality, if that makes sense, being, being okay with the, with the B in the LGBT. <laughs> um, so just before I start, I just want to um, acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, um, the Yagra and Turbul people, as the original inhabitants of the land on which we are telling our stories tonight, which is Minjin, um, also known as Brisbane. And I would love to pay my deepest respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging. Um, cool. So, um, yeah, so pretty much just like a lot of queer people, I grew up pretty lonely I, it's high school's a funny time because there are queer people but we're all just a bit confused um so i thought that i was pretty much the only queer person in my high school which wasn't true but it felt like that at the time and i really wanted to be straight but i wasn't <laughs> um and sort of in high school i spent a lot of years dating men and it's after I graduated and sort of realized that I wanted, that I'm maybe not as straight as I originally had planned on being, <laughs> um, I started dating women. Um, I didn't really have a label for myself at this time, uh, but I sort of was like looking into bisexuality, what's going on? Cause I, I wasn't really sure. And so, yeah, I just had the worst, luck and and a lot of it was because of my own ingrained um sort of fear of being in an intimate relationship with the same sex you know what i mean it's it's scary so i had a, i was really unlucky and i and i was kind of scared of lesbians <laughs> because of just i don't know i don't know why they they generally made fun of people who who don't completely know their identity. It's, it's biphobia, it's really big in the LGBT community. Um, that's not to say all lesbians, I'm not saying that at all. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty intimidating. So uh, I would only date women who identified as bisexual for a long time. And basically I just had really bad luck and I would be led on and they would date me and then they would end up leaving me for a man. And this happened quite a few times. 
And obviously now I look back and I think, you know, it has a lot to do with them and their ingrained heterosexuality or internalized homophobia or the fact, you know, that society values male attention over female attention. Um, or, you know, maybe I'm just not great and they just didn't want to be with me. But at the time, it's sort of ingrained in me that that is how bisexuals act and that is how bisexuals behave. They use women as a plan B and being in a relationship with a man is preferable. And so it kind of confirmed to me my thoughts about not being bisexual, but because I didn't feel like that, um, I wanted to be a bisexual woman, but I wanted to be in a relationship with a woman. Um, so anyway, flash forward to university, everything. Uh, for those who don't know me, I started musical theater. So obviously there was a lot of queerness in the building, <laughs> um, which was so refreshing. Um, and I made friends with so many gay men and so many lesbians, and I just felt so seen and it was so wonderful. But I still didn't see any bisexuals. <laughs> um, no one around me identified as bisexual. And if they did, they would later come out as gay or they would be made fun of. Or, you know, I knew a couple of women who were in relationships with men and identified as bisexual, which is completely, completely 100% valid. But the lack of, of women who identify as bisexual but were in relationship with women they just didn't exist they didn't exist in my universe <laughs> at all and you know obviously there's a lot of ingrained heteronormativity in our society um but what i think the real catalyst of that was is a lot of the time bisexuals are shunned in the gay community and you know <laughs> there's a lot of biphobia in the lesbian community i can't speak for the gay community because i i don't know but i'm assuming it's it's similar for gay, uh, bisexual men um and because of this lesbians don't really want to date bisexuals and so it's really hard as a person who identifies as a bisexual to actually get a date <laughs> um yeah so it, and a lot of bisexuals who are in relationship with in a relationship with a woman um, they just say they're a lesbian because it's easier. It's just so much easier, to be honest. Um, so yeah, kind of like in high school, how I decided to be straight. In university, I decided I was a lesbian. <laughs> um, and I would put lesbian on my dating apps and lo and behold, I was getting way more matches. The biphobia is real. <laughs> um, I was getting way more matches. And I even met my now fiance while I was parading around as a lesbian, as a secret undercover bisexual. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it was just ridiculous. And I, yeah, I just, I said to, I said to her pretty shortly after we started dating, I was like, I think I'm bisexual. Um, and she said something really sweet, um, which I always remember. She said, that's even more special because you have like so many people to choose from and you choose me and that's really nice. And she was just, cause she's, she's a lesbian cis woman and she, you know, I was really scared of what she might think and she was just amazing. And yeah, I think 
slowly the LGBT community is becoming a lot more accepting of sexual fluidity and bisexuals and pansexuals and, and everything like that. But it's, it was, it was touch and go there for a little while. Um, yeah. And so I realized that me, you know, sort of purposely not defining myself as a bisexual to fit in either as straight, like I did when I was in high school or as a lesbian in, in, um, university, it was wrong. Um, and it only added to the lack of representation of bisexual women dating women. <laughs> um, and it's not fair to other young bisexuals and it's not fair to myself. Um, and in saying that, you know, I'm not perfect. I still have to check my own internalized biphobia um, a lot of the time because it's just very ingrained. Um, but yeah, um, this has been a bit of a ramble, but <laughs> no. basically, I just want to say all forms of bisexuality are valid and sexuality is a spectrum and you're still bisexual no matter XYZ if you decide to identify as so. And it's normal to be bisexual and it can be beautiful and funny and interesting. Um, in fact, I wrote a cabaret about it because it's it just, it can be really funny and, and different and yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that's about all I have to say. Oh, I just want to say um, as well, I've talked a lot about representation um, and it, it's, it's really important, but it also feels a bit silly because I am a femme, cis, female, bisexual woman. I'm white, especially, so quite privileged as far as representation goes, but I still had lack of representation. And, and so that means that the lack of representation for our black and indigenous LGBT family, I can't even imagine. I've seen nothing and I've looked as well. Like it's just absolutely ridiculous. Not only are they underrepresented, 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 there it is. Whew. In the general community and the general media, they are severely underrepresented in the LGBT world. Um, so yeah, we just need to think about that and do better. And also I just wanna draw attention to this organization um, called Black Rainbow, which I think everyone should get familiar with because they're doing awesome work. Um, they're a non-for-profit organization. Um, they're hundred percent indigenous owned. Um, they're like a social enterprise, which is dedicated to improving um, indigenous Australian LGBT plus um, health outcomes for both mental and physical. <sighs> that was a lot of word vomit, but I hope that made sense. And I hope no. that in some way. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Shalise, and all of our storytellers. And that brings us to the end of another The Story Chunder podcast. Like us across all social media platforms at The Story Chunder. Send us a Gmail at thestorychunder at gmail.com. An email, a Gmail, whatever you want to do. Like us, subscribe to us, recommend us to other people, give us some feedback, look at our YouTube channel. We'd love to see you. And if you're in Brisbane, Australia, come find us at Back Dock Arts in Fortitude Valley. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.